Well, thank you. Great to be here. And Denise did say to me, please take my greetings to Pastor Chris and Laya and also to the church here. Denise, obviously, is the area leader for Wales uh, for the Assemblies of God, and she's doing a great job, and she loves this church too. So greetings from her. And it's my privilege again today to share God's word with you. And uh, Chris talked about fire, and I want to talk to you about the fire of God here this morning. For over 50 years now, I have been stirred whenever the fire of God is mentioned. It's just one of those things. In fact, the very first book I read as an 18-year-old was the book about Stephen Jeffries and the Welsh Revival. And it, it stirred my heart. And it's never, that fire has never left me. The first sermon I ever preached um, when I was, a, I was a Bible student in 1970, and uh, I got this sermon, and it was from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, and this is what it says, And when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down. I preached that, I only had one sermon, and I preached that sermon in every church I ever went to as a, as a kind of a 22-year-old student. It was just a, a wonderful passion in my life. And every book about revival that I have ever read has always left me wanting more. It stirred my heart, and I'm very jealous of people who experience revival. You know, I've, I've never ever been in revival. I've never kind of been close to revival, but I've read a lot about revival, and I read the Bible about revival, and I just know that whenever God talks about his moving of his spirit, great things can happen. And I believe that God wants more and more for his power to be manifest in our lives, in our churches, especially in this day. Pastor Chris mentioned the needs of our world. I don't need to tell you about the needs of our world. But what I do know is this. Too often, the church is trying to stop the devil's fire instead of trying to ignite heaven's fire. What we really need to do is to stop trying to stop, but actually to start igniting and I want to talk to you today about the need of fire starters in our world today. We need it. And I'm angry with preachers who somehow seem to tell us that it's all over. We've just got to live like this. No, I don't believe we've got to live like this. I believe God is on the move, and he will move wherever people open their hearts to him. Wherever churches say, God, give us more, God will come. He will come. Simon Ponsonby, a kind of a lecturer at, at Oxford for the Anglican Church, said this, the greatest need of the hour is for God's people to be endowed with the fire of God. You've all seen illustrations of people who try to kind of ignite fire in, a, in say, in a forest situation or camping. And, you see, we can't manufacture fire, but we can make some sparks. But the spark is not the fire. The spark is the ignition. And once that spark actually is in the right place, Fire is a supernatural element. It's an amazing thing. And the fire of God is just the same. We can't manufacture the fire of God, but we can ignite. We can do some sparks. There's some things we can do to actually provoke God's fire to come and be manifest among us. The world is a needy place, but it can be transformed by the fire of God. I remember when I was... It raised up in a, I was raised up in a Pentecostal church, and um, there was a Christian greeting that was very, very common in those days. The first thing, when you met anybody, you went like this, 
are you saved? That was the first thing people asked you. Are you saved? If the answer was yes, they say, are you on fire? And I tell you what, we need more than saved. We need saved and on fire. All of us need to be saved and on fire. Charles Spurgeon said this, some Christians smoke but don't burn. He also said to his students this, put some fire in the sermon or put the sermon on the fire. So I better start, okay? I'm g- I'll go on to my three points I want to share with you here today. First of all, I want to say this, that f- fire starters, if we want to ignite and start fires, we must first of all deal with the ashes. Leviticus 6, 8 to 13 says this, Give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. The priest shall then put on his linen clothes with linen undergarments next to his body and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off those clothes and put on others and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continually. It must not go out. Very interesting that God doesn't just speak about the fire. He speaks about ashes. Let's think about ashes today. Let's think about ashes in relation to our personal life and also in relation to our corporate church life. You see, ashes are what is left when the fire is gone. If you go around Wales today, you will see many chapel buildings with a date on the top, 1904, 1905, 1906, that are used now as antique places, uh, uh, art centers, uh, uh, kind of uh, um, uh, kind of uh, auction places, carpet warehouses. Many of them were places where once the fire burned, but now they are just part of the ashes. You see, ashes are also smoldering embers of what used to be. Ashes speak of the past. Ashes also always speak of the past. Ashes do not fuel the future. Also, ashes are a threat to fresh fire because fresh fire can be smothered and have no oxygen to burn if the ashes are not removed. Ashes only speak of the past. And we have to be careful in our own lives and in our church lives that we don't try to embalm and preserve the ashes. We have to know how to remove the ashes. Otherwise, we can forfeit the future and the fresh fire that God wants to pour out upon us. For recent years, I've been down to the Senate on St. David's Day for the prayer meeting and it's a gathering of of leaders from all over the world and it's a great breakfast together. I got really annoyed a couple of years ago because the whole time that in that prayer thing every conversation was all about the Welsh revival. The whole thing about that prayer breakfast was the ashes. 
Nothing was said about what's going on in Wales now, what's current, what's happening now. But it was like somehow we would cut, cut, put like the ashes of the revival in a mausoleum and then we'd come to kind of have a prayer breakfast around the ashes. I want to tell you, we have to know how to remove the ashes because ashes speak of the past. Ashes speak of what was. They don't speak of what is. And notice how God required them to be taken out every morning, not even left for a few days, every morning, because every day is a new day. And thank God, God is not short of new days. He doesn't need the past to keep him warm. He has fresh fire for every day as we seek him in our hearts, fully surrendered, and we know how to get rid of the ashes. If we want to be on fire for God, we must regularly deal with the ashes in our lives, whether that's been stuck in the past or whether it's that which hinders something fresh from God. Hebrews 12 also talks about sins that so easily beset us. In other words, ashes can be those things, those carnalities in our lives that are a hindrance to fresh fire. You know, years ago, most of our homes had to deal with ashes because we had fireplaces. Remember? I mean, I was raised in a home where we had no central heating, but we had a fire grate. And my dad, just after the war was over, as a little kid there, he would actually use what was called nutty slack to keep the fire in overnight. Some of you understand this. Some of you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about right now. But he would, he would put this on at night and it would kind of, you think it would put the fire out, but it just about kept it in. But even then, it kept it in. You still had to take the ashes out. It was a daily routine. You couldn't just leave the ashes in because the ashes were a problem and a hindrance to fresh fire. Very important that we understand that, that if our hearts get clogged up with the ashes of the past, the fire won't be able to burn as it should today. In church life, let's bring it to church life. In church life, there's a temptation also to hold onto the ashes of the past, to revere them, to have some nostalgic sentimentality for what happened in the past. But if we don't remove those things, we will fail to have the fresh fire. Let me just say something to you that perhaps may be relevant to you at certain times. You know, church leaderships have to make decisions in church life about changing things at times. And, and people do not like change. And sometimes you have to stop things that have been going for years. Not because they are bad, but because there's no future in them. And sometimes people say, no, no, don't stop that because the ashes are still warm. But it's not about things being warm. It's about hot. When it comes to Jesus, he said, listen, one way or the other, hot or cold, warm is not my thing. Warm is not God's things. And, and the thing is, if you can hold on to something which is warm, but by holding on to that which is warm, you're forfeiting that which is hot. So back your church leadership. Whenever they say, no, that's had its day, back it. Don't try to maintain, to keep the ashes 
of what has had its day. There's also those things in our lives. Things like unforgiveness, pride, disobedience, backbiting, gossiping, envy, sin are all part of the ashes that need to be cleared from our lives if we want to be on fire for God. Ashes can also represent those times in our lives when we got burnt. You know, sometimes in church life, you meet people that have been badly hurt at some point. For whatever reason, badly hurt. And somehow, they're living with the memory of those ashes of a previous time. And what they are doing is this. They, the pain is gone, but the memory remains. And the memory, memory remains because they are refusing to take out the ashes. Listen to me. If you're, if you're carrying the ashes of a, a painful, hot experience in your past, you need to let it go. Take it out. Clear it out. Because while you hold on to that, you're losing out on God's better things that he has for you in your life. My personal encounter was that I was baptized with the Holy Spirit when I was 18 years of age, February the 16th in 1966. Four days after my, my 18th birthday, I was in a meeting and the fire fell, filled my life, and I was changed. I've never been the same since. I thank God for those moments where you know you have an encounter with God. But in, in, in the previous, since that day to this day, there's been many times when I felt my heart going cold. Many time, times when I felt I wasn't as hot now as I was then. Many times when I've had to go forward in an altar call and say, Oh God, stir my heart. I want something fresh from you today. I need you. I'm desperate for more of you. And can I just say here today, you know that when it comes to altar calls, altar calls, you don't have to count how many you have per year. Thinking, oh, I responded last week to the message. I can't go forward again. They'll think I'm backslidden. doesn't matter what anybody thinks. What matters is about what God's got for you and what you, what you want from God. And I tell, our, I tell our leadership team over the years, listen, church leaders, they need to respond to altar calls too. We all need God. We all need those times. None of us has got kind of a, a, a kind of a regular unchanging heat in our lives. We are human. And there's times when we really are, really are red hot. And there's times when it's going a little bit cooler. And there's many times when I've had to go forward to the altar and say, oh God, I need something fresh from you. And there's been times when I failed too. I've had to come to the altar and bring my ashes and say, God, help me. I want to get rid of these things out of my life. These things are no good for me. These things are in the past. I don't want them there in my life anymore. I want you to help me clear them out. When was the last time you came before God and you removed the ashes? You came before God and you said, God, there's stuff in my life here now. It needs to go. It needs to go. Jim Elliott, the great missionary to the Alka Indians who got martyred, 
along with some others. He wrote this in his diary. God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life, and may I burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. We're going to be fire starters. First of all, we must deal with the ashes. Deal with the ashes. And then secondly, we must maintain the fire. Verse 13 says, every morning, the priest is to add firewood. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. It was so important. As long as the fire was burning, the people knew that God's presence was in the camp. The fire burning all the time, never going out. The people knew that God was there. And that fire was kept burning for hundreds of years until 587 BC when Nebuchadnezzar ransacked Jerusalem and actually plundered the temple and destroyed the brazen altar in which that fire was burning. For centuries, they kept that fire burning. Fire does not keep burning unless it is maintained. We have an enemy today who wants to extinguish every bit of Pentecostal fire that he can. Just like Nebuchadnezzar took away the fire, destroyed the fire, we also have an enemy who does not want us to be on fire. You know, if ever there was a time when the church needed to be full of Pentecostal fire, it's these days. I have never seen anything so crazy as what our world is today. It needs something. What does it need? It doesn't need more politicians. It doesn't need more kind of economic better stuff. It doesn't need all these kind of things that the world thinks is the only answer. What it needs is for the church of Pentecost, the, the Acts 2 church, to, to rise up full of God, full of faith, full of power, burning a light in the darkness. We're called to be Pentecostal people. From Malachi... Matthew. Last book of the Old Testament to the first book of the New Testament, there was 400 years and there was no fire. An absence of fire for 400 years. And then we open the New Testament. And then there we have in the gospel, Luke 3, 16, John the Baptist, this man that seems to come from out of the wilderness, comes with a word from God. And this is what it is. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The fire was called, called by John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, and he's coming. And when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Read a few pages later on, and in the upper room, the fire fell and filled those lives, and they impacted their world, just a few of them, with the fire of God burning. It's the hope for this town is there hope for Wales? Is there hope for the world? Yes, there is. There is. It's the fire of God. It's us being the kind of people that God wants us to be. But first we must deal with the ashes, then we must maintain the fire. We don't stay on fire automatically. We have to maintain the fire. This is how Romans 12, 11 puts it. Never be lacking in zeal. 
but keep. Notice that word, keep, keep, maintain your spiritual fervor. The literal Greek there means be set on fire by the Spirit. Be aglow, be boiling, be ablaze, be seething, be aflame. And it's a zeal of God, that zeal for God, that ignites us to be a driving force in the advancement of the kingdom of God. Are you maintaining the fire? You see... If you take out the ashes and then don't maintain the fire, the fire will still go out, even though you've cleared the ashes. We need to keep, keep, look after, tend the fire. I love that hymn of Wesley. In fact, I have it, I have it in the, my Bible's falling apart, so I've put gaffer tape on it. But here, Wesley's hymn was this, O thou who camest from above, the pure celestial fire to impart, kindle a flame of sacred love on the mean altar of my heart. There let it for thy glory burn with inextinguishable blaze and trembling to its source return in humble prayer and fervent praise. Jesus, confirm my heart's desire to work and speak and think for thee. Still let me guard the holy fire and still stir up thy gift in me. Last verse is ready for all thy perfect will. My acts of faith and love repeat till death thy endless mercy seal and make the sacrifice complete. Still let me guard the holy fire. Evan Roberts, as you know, was greatly used in 1904. These are his words. The salvation of the human soul was solemnly impressed upon me. I felt ablaze with a desire to go through the length and breadth of Wales to tell of the Savior. You see, something happens when you're on fire. It changes everything changes how you think, changes what you see, it changes what you do. He said, I felt ablaze to go through the length and breadth of Wales. What for? To tell of the Savior. Can you imagine if every Christian was ablaze like that? Can you imagine if every Christian in this town was ablaze like that? That somehow wherever we went, we were like firebrands, igniting fire. So how do we maintain this fire? How is it maintained? How do we keep the fire of God? How do, we, how do we nurture it? How do we tend it? Well, some keys are very simply obvious. One is worship. I've never seen anyone on fire for God who doesn't worship. Worship draws us into the presence of God. The more you worship, the more you'll get from his presence. And the more you get from his presence, the more on fire you'll be. Worship is crucial. And you know, you don't have to just be in church gatherings to worship. You can worship on your knees in your, in your bedroom or your kitchen. You can be anywhere. Worship in your car. But the more you worship, the more you actually draw the presence of God. And the more you soak in the presence of God, the more the, the, the fire of God rubs off on your life. Another way to keep the fire is obedience. 
Obedience. You see, God didn't send the fire to people who live in disobedience. That's why that word repent applies to none, to Christians as well as non-Christians. We ought to, we need to live a life of repentance. Forgive us this day as we forgive those who sin against us. This is, this is a daily life of repentance. If you are saved, you still need to repent because every day we fail in some ways and we need to come to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, help me, help me, help me. I need more of your grace, more of your power, more of your strength in my life that I can shine for you and live for you and be powerful for you. Another means of maintaining the fire is this wonderful, wonderful book, the Word of God. You can't be on fire for God, if you only, you only kind of look at this now and again. What does the Bible say? Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like a fire, God says. If you want fire, get near the fire. Open the Bible. Read it. Get in there. Just, oh, I'll tell you, I've been reading through Proverbs this last 30, 30 days or whatever. A proverb, chapter of Proverbs every day. You know what? I've got scribbles everywhere, scribbles, and your Bible is for scribbling, and I put dates in where I really feel God's hit me hard, I put a date in the margin, and when I go back through it, I think, yes, don't forget, God spoke to you there, God said that, the Proverbs are amazing, oh, I, I, one minute I'm saying, yes, 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 next minute I'm saying, oh God, help me, <laughs> it's like a fire, this is not just a book. This is the, the word of the living God, inspired by the Holy Ghost. Absolutely, God breathed out from Genesis to Revelation. This will get you hot. And the reason why I've still got an old one, I've got new ones as well, but I don't like the new ones like I like the old one, because this one has become my friend. Repentance is a humbling, a humbly cleansing away of past ashes because we can't ignite anything elsewhere if we are not hot ourselves. Proverbs 26, 20, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. God can't build fresh fire over cold ashes, so we get rid of the ashes. And Paul said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy, 2 verse 6, stir up the gift of God that is in you. And that literally means to maintain the fire, rekindle the fire that is in you. Not, we don't have to kind of try and create it. We can't imitate it. We don't need imitation fire. We don't need kind of false hype fire. We need divine fire. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is in each of us. So the spark we can spark what's in us. And that's what he says, stir up, ignite that which is in you. The Holy Spirit, stir up the gift. And it was John Wesley who said that the fear he had about the Methodists was this. And I quote his words. He says, my fear is that our people will become content to live without the fire, without the power without the excitement, without the supernatural element, he said, that makes us Methodists great. What, a, what a, a statement. 
even though they were growing and growing and growing, he had this fear that one day they would become content to live without the fire. You know, you do things really well here. And in our church, we do things really well because we believe that excellence honors God. We do the best we can all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, I, it's commendable, that. But we have to have more than good planning, more than good programming, more than just kind of good things happening in church life. Because if we're not careful, we can be content with that and miss the fire of God. The fire of God does not, it does not have to be the enemy of our good planning and human reasoning, which comes from the mind and the brain that God has given us. They go hand in hand. You read the book of Acts chapter 2, there's a lot of wisdom there, but there was also a lot of fire there. So number one, we have to, if we're going to be, be fire starters, we have to remove the ashes. But then secondly, we have to maintain the fire. Otherwise, the fire goes out. And I want to ask you again a challenging question today. If I was to ask you, are you on fire? What would your answer be? What would your honest answer be? Would you say, well, I'm, I'm not cold. That's not the answer. Uh, and, and the answer is not this. Well, I've been saved 25 years. That's not the answer. Or the answer is, well, I'm passionate. That's not the answer either. I'm asking you, are you on fire? I, are you so on fire that you do anything God calls you to? Are you so on fire that you will serve God to your dying day, to the last breath of your body? Are you on fire that actually, even if it's not comfortable for you, you would do anything that God wants you to do because the fire of God has consumed your selfishness and your own ego stuff. And actually, the fire of God makes you just want to be someone that makes him happy and pleases him. Are you on fire like that? The third thing is this. Fire starters must ignite others. Must ignite others. We have a kind of a, our strap line for our church in Newtown is this. Uh, we, we've looked at this for a long, long time before we actually created this. But our strap line is this. Transform people, igniting transformation in others. You know, we can't transform anybody's life. But we, our, our own lives have been transformed. And our desire now is to ignite that same transformation in others. Ignite by our good works, by our kindness, by our invitations, by our praying, by our ministry to people. What, all that we do is seeking to ignite transformation in others. We just want to spark, 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 spark. Because a spark, actually, you've seen these Californian fires, just one spark. And then, although the spark is not the fire, the fire wouldn't be there without the spark. The spark actually enables fire to just go like that. And what we need to do is to be people who, when we get near others, something there starts to ignite. You know, all over the place, there needs to be some fire starting in your college or in your school or in that club that you go to. You somehow, we're never called to blend in. We're called to stand out because we are different. We're not different because of any other reason than the mercy of God has saved us. 
washed away our sin, given us eternal life, and given us the best life that's possible anywhere in this world. There's nothing better than being a child of God. And then when we're full of his spirit, we have something to impart, something great to impart. So on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 men and women in an upper room. And 10 days they had been just there meeting and praying and worshipping the Lord. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit fell. Those people went outside differently to where they were outside just a few days earlier. They went outside and people took note that something had happened to them. And that spark that day ignited the salvation of 3,000 people. What an impact. And you know, you've probably seen on the TV and you'll probably see it again on the coronation of King Charles in May that bishops wear these kind of hats uh, that they kind of called a mitre. Not a meter, a mitre. And they, they have these kind of... And, and the reason why a bishop wears that kind of hat looking like a mitre is because it's a, it's, it's, it's a picture of a cloven tongue of fire. It's based on the fact that in the upper room, the cloven tongues of fire were seen on the heads of the apostles and the others in the room. So that has been taken, and they now make it like an ornament or a hat to wear in the shape of a cloven tongue of fire. It represents the flame of Pentecost. But you know, each of us could wear a hat like that and go out amongst Abergavenny and it wouldn't do a thing because the fire is not in a hat. The fire is not in clothing. The fire is not in a symbol. The fire is in the Holy Spirit. And you see, the early church, they, they didn't have any garb that was ecclesiastical or church-like. They just had the power. They had the fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And God is not impressed by what we wear on the outside. He's more impressed than what's burning on the inside, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if every one of us was like that? If you read the book of Acts through, you'll see the power of Pentecost, a church that is different because it's on fire. The great quotes by an American pastor called Vance Havner. This is what he says. We are suffering today from a species of Christianity that's as dry as dust, as cold as ice, as pale as a corpse, and as dead as King Tutankhamun. We are suffering not from a lack of correct heads, but a lack of consumed hearts. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be part of a church like that. I want to be part of a hot church, a, a church where people really are on fire for God. The, the, the worship's on fire. The prayer is on fire. The service is on fire. The welcome is on fire. Everything's about fire, the fire of God. You see, in the Acts, you read the book of Acts, it was Pentecostal fire that made those people fearless, made them bold. It made them more prayerful. <coughs> it gave them faith that moved them into new territory. Through their being on fire, evil spirits screamed out in their presence. 
through the fire of God, racists became lovers. Atheists cried out to be saved. Through the fire of God, there was extravagant generosity. Through the fire of God, joy abounded and cities were changed. All because of the fire of God. See, God did not send the Pentecostal fire to become a topic of theology. He, he sent the fire for, for it to be a, a personal experience. That we live in it. We live in it. He sent the Holy Spirit to equip us with the power of everything we needed. And that's why William Booth, the, the founder of the Salvation Army, he said these words to his officers. Whatever you do, get the fire. Get the fire. If you have the fire, then everything you do will be different. Get the fire. In Hebrews 1.7, it says he makes his servants a flame of fire. A flame of fire. You read again through the book of Acts. What the fire of God does is this. It produces wisdom. It provides comfort to people in death. It provides spiritual insight and revelation. The fire of God gives you a taste of heaven's joy. In fact, the fire of God is so amazing, and I've witnessed this recently, with some of our precious people who have been in our church for years who have gone to be with Christ. And I tell you something. There's no place like it. To be in a room at the bedside of someone is a, who is about to leave this life and go into eternity. And there's something about that scene where that person who is so weak in fail in their body with their loved ones around them and yet their face is radiant in its weakness with this knowledge of where they're going with this love, this passionate love for Jesus and also the fact that they talk on their deathbed, soon I'm going to see the king. That's what the fire of God does. It doesn't make you quiver and quake and think, oh, where am I going? No, no, no. When you're fire of God, you're thinking, thank God, thank God, I'm going to see the king face to face. When you're on fire for God, you can get whipped and still you rejoice. You know, sometimes people... You know, it's amazing what sometimes in church life you see this. Sometimes people can't even do a basic, simple thing. And yet when you're on fire for God, you can do the hardest thing. Because it just flows from here. The fire of God makes you selfless. The fire of God makes sin distasteful. The fire of God makes you turn over the TV when there's no stuff worth watching. It's the fire of God that changes atmospheres. Fire of God changes desires. Samuel Chadwick, the Presbyterian theologian, said this spirit filled souls are ablaze for God. They love with a love that glows. They serve with a faith that kindles. They serve with a devotion that consumes. They rejoice with a joy that radiates. And their love is perfected in the fire of God. Jeremiah 20, verse 9 says, His word is in my heart. As a burning fire shut up in my bones. This is, this is so basic to fundamental Pentecostal doctrine. So basically fundamental. This need for all of us. For less of us and more of him burning in our lives. When John Wesley was asked for the secret is of his success, he said this. First, I set myself on fire and then people come to see me burn. So... How 
if it's just a spark that's needed, how, how, how do you recognize a fire starter? How do you recognize someone that's on fire for God? Well, it's not always easy, to be honest. Because, you know, sometimes we have this image, or somebody on fire for God has got a great big, whopping great big Bible, the six foot six tall, speak like an American, got, got, he got high heels on the Cuban heels, whatever, and they, and they kind of go, glory, glory, glory. No, no, no. I, let me tell you something. I wrote a, a, a preface for a book um, recently about a missionary called Kathleen Lucas. She was a missionary, stayed single all her life, still alive, very old, but a book just been published. And she went to the Congo on her own, full of faith, full of guts. Little, little lady. I think she's about 88 now. She's a little lady like that, bent over. She went out to where Rwanda, she was threatened by everything. Death, threatened by, by people wanting to kill her. She put up with all the mosquitoes. She, she went, lived her life without ever getting married. She went through all those kind of things. And if you actually meet her, she's a gentle little lady. But let me tell you, she's on fire for God. Yeah, it's not, it's, we don't have this kind of, oh, well that's, that's how you got to be. No, 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 no. It's not about your personality. It's not about how tall or big you are or how fit you are. It's about the fire of God burning in your heart. So I'm coming to close. Three things. Fire starters, first of all, must deal with the ashes. And I want to challenge you. Are there any ashes that need to be taken out of your life that you're holding on to ashes? It's time to let them go. It's time to get rid of them. You know, it's even, God even said they had to put on special clothes just to deal with the ashes. I challenge you today. You need to get rid of some ashes in this place. Just break through your life and say, that's got to go. That's got to go. I'm holding on to stuff. That's no good for me. Get rid of the ashes. Have you neglected the fire that you once had? It's time to rekindle. It's time to fan into flame that which you once had. Fresh fire. God has for you. It's time for all of us in church life to realize if we're going to be churches the kind that God wants, all of us need to respond more to altar calls and not be thinking, what will so-and-so think if I go to the front? No, no, no. We need to understand that when we meet on Sundays here, it's not for a religious duty. It's not for a religious service. It's to meet with the living God that our lives might be impacted so that when we leave this place, we go out with the flame, the flames burning brighter and stronger than ever good news for anyone that wants to get rid of ashes this morning. Isaiah 61 3 says that God's got something to give you in exchange for ashes. He will give a crown of beauty for ashes. A joyous blessing instead of mourning. Festive praise instead of despair. I pray that God will help each one of us to be on fire for him and bring glory to his name. May God bless you. begin to notice that